Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Liz Loza and I am joined by Yahoo Draft expert Eric Edholm. Hey, Eric. Hey, how are you, Liz? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I decided to say hi to you before I went yeah, into the rest of formal. the intro spiel. <laughs> right. Okay, you know. It's our last one. This is our final deep dive on the quarterback position for the Rookie Snapshot pod. So I thought I'd uh, shake things up. And after all, it's quarterbacks, man. Like, I don't know. Tell me, this year we keep hearing it's a shallow draft class. It's a, quote, no good draft class for the quarterback <laughs> position. And yet everybody is, like, the most intrigued by the quarterback position all the time. Yep, yep. And I want you to use that voice throughout the podcast. I'm just saying that right now. That's a formal request here. But uh, (laughs) it's fair. I think coming off a year where five of the first 15 picks were quarterbacks and everybody was losing their minds over Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, whoever last year, you know, this is a drop in talent. This is a drop in depth, too. I mean, yes, there are five, maybe six, depending on who you talk to, who people think at least have a shot to start at some point. You know, the number obviously changes depending on on the person, but it, it's clearly not as uh, talent steeped or uh, developed a group. We have a, a late bloomer in there. We have, you know, some older guys, some players who face lesser competition. There's there's plenty of questions across the board, and I think they're fair. You know, maybe somebody like Desmond Ritter is finally getting his due. The other guys have been diced up a little bit too much. But, yeah, it's it's not my favorite group of quarterbacks ever, but it's far from my least favorite. And yet the quarterback market is experiencing a gigantic amount of upheaval, right? Like we're seeing so much turnover at the yeah. position. Russell Wilson moving. to Look, Russell Wilson is no longer a Seattle Seahawks. I don't know what the Panthers are doing. Ben right. Roethlisberger's out of the league. Like there are Tom Brady was in, was out. I don't know. He's certainly got a relationship with some parts of Florida, (laughs) but like, (laughs) there's so much movement that I have to imagine that, you know, we're going to talk about the top four. I think the top two are the ones that people know most uh, intimately by now or most familiar with. Um, But one of these guys I feel like is going to find his way into a starting position sooner than any of us are anticipating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it wouldn't be shocking if if Kenny Pickett won a job day one or if, you know, Malik Willis was thrust into the lineup sooner than a lot of us have been saying he should be right. Or Ritter or other guys, Corral could surprise. So, so yeah, I think there's enough, dart throws here where we feel pretty good about hitting a couple of targets but yeah as always it's 
it's a 50-50 proposition historically. Some years it's a little less. Some years it's a little more. We'll see what happens. But you're right. I do think there'll be some instant impact guys just because of the need of the position and the desperation of the teams. Let's talk about Kenny Pickett and start off with him since you mentioned him out of Pittsburgh. Uh, six foot three, 217 pounds. He's 23 years old. He will be 24 in June. So a little bit of concern about his age. He did stay an extra year at Pitt to help develop, uh, which I think was really good for him because if we're looking at this entire class, not just the four quarterbacks we're going to talk about, probably the most improved from start to finish. Um, also has some NFL blood or some he has football in his blood, sports in his blood. His dad was an All-American linebacker. His mom played soccer at the college level. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that athleticism in his playing. And I don't think he necessarily gets as much credit as he should for his mobility. Yeah, I think you're right. And this is a similar question when Joe Burrow was coming out, just how athletic is he, right? And I think there were some people feeling that, you know, some of us were overrating Burrow's athleticism. You know, it's like when you see those great backyard athletes who can just create things right and they may not be blessed with incredible strength or speed or quickness but you know when 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 the ball is snapped they're able to do things athletically wise athletic wise uh that make them different from other players and i think that applies to kenny and he, he has a great sense of when to run when to bail out of the pocket you know when to extend plays and things like that and you know, I, I would imagine that he's good at pickup hoops and he's good at dart throwing and he's good at, a, you know, just about any sport you give him. That's the kind of uh, guy you, he seems to be. But absolutely, I think his legs were a big part of, of what he did, even if he didn't have monster rushing numbers or, or anything like that. Who did he what was the first word that or the first phrase that came to mind when you were introduced to his tape? Yeah, it was probably two years ago. Three. It's funny. We've been talking about Kenny Pickett forever. He's right. he's so old that Matt Rule two jobs ago recruited him to play at Temple. You know, so uh, you know this. He's been going back a little ways here. I would say competitive has to be the word though. When he was a you know thirteen touchdown seven interception quarterback for like three years running. Uh, you know, he willed them back against Penn State, didn't win the game, but gave his team a chance to win as a sophomore. It was uglier. His mechanics weren't that great at the time, but you thought this is a competitive kid. The next year got the tar beat out of him against Clemson, kept peeling himself off the grass and, and playing more. And he's been injured a lot. He's played through a lot of pain. So, you know, the injury quotient, you have to you have to factor in. But yeah, competitive. I think he's going to be a guy who's going to give his NFL opportunity every shot he gets. And he's got. Yeah, he's going to do it, I think. So whether he's got the talent or not, that really is is what comes down to the, you know, that's the bottom line for his evaluation. I see a lot of Kirk Cousins in his game. Yep. Um, is that the comp? And, and that's, by the way, not, a, I think it's a pretty popular comp, yeah. but it's definitely one that shows up regularly. And I think for good reason, are you in agreement or are you going in another direction? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a little bit of a bigger kid, maybe a little bit more athletic, but very similar, I think. And I think it's going to be a similar type of career arc where he has some success and he'll have a 4,000 yard season at some point and he'll surprise people or what have you. Mm. But I think there'll always be this sense with Pickett that can we do better? You know, and it's it's almost like with Teddy Bridgewater, right? You know, he's good enough to start 16 games for you, get you through the year, um, sure. maybe a more talented version of that. But I, I can't quite comp him to Burrow, 
but you can see similarities in their play style. So if you're used to watching Joe Burrow, you'll see some overlap. But I think it's I think the Cousins, you know, the other thing that worries me, Liz, is that he had some bad decisions in the last couple minutes of games. The Miami game was a disaster, right? There were a few other Virginia game. He almost coughed it up. So, you know, it's like he plays composed up until a certain point when the wheels start coming off a little bit, not every game, but it does happen. And and that's why cousins kind of popped into my head as well. Hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I I am wondering though, if you're just sticking to the Joe Burrow camp comp because of the hands. Well, yeah. I mean, look, the, (laughs) the, the, the Burrow Burrow is like a whopping nine inches, right? We're only talking about an eight and uh, a quarter inch guy here. Yeah. I mean, it's worth mentioning. He wears a glove. It's the smallest hand that's been <laughs> measured in a long time, right? He wears two gloves, you know, Teddy two gloves style. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, the fumbles were a part of his story. This last year wasn't as bad, but up until this past season, he had a lot of balls that hit the ground. Okay. So you, you mentioned Temple, right? Because he initially coming out of high school in New Jersey committed to Temple yep. and then changed his mind and decided to go to Pitt. Yep. I mentioned this because... Uh, Matt Rule and his relationship with Temple and therefore his relationship with Pickett is now obviously in need of a quarterback since Sam Darnold wasn't the fix-it that they had hoped he would be. Mel Kuyper, the great, is mocking Pickett to the Steelers. Mm. You, however, have a different view of this. I do, yeah. And, I mean, I could see both working. I mean, people ask, is is Pickett going to be the quarterback that goes off the board first? I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't know that he's going to go in the top 10. I don't know that the Panthers love him. Uh, You know, you get different opinions depending on who you talk to. And the Steelers have done a lot of work on him. Their facilities, you know, right down the street. They certainly know him. But remember Dan Moreno. I mean, the the, the Roonies regret it to this day, but they didn't want to take the local kid. They ended up taking somebody else. So uh, could that happen again? I suppose. I went with New Orleans. I was trying to find a place somewhere in the middle of the first round. Oh, I thought you were going with the Panthers. Oh, no. I thought your recent mock had the Panthers. Oh, no. The recent, I think I put them there a couple weeks ago, but um, I don't even remember what my my last mock is. I don't even know what today is for that matter, but in the middle of draft season, it gets a a little dark and a little strange, but... Yeah, no, I mean, I I think my my spot for him would be somewhere a little bit farther down the chain. I don't think he's going number six. That's just my gut feeling at this point. But okay, I mean, the Panthers still have a ton of cap space, and they have no draft picks in rounds two or three. They they would love to move down. I don't know if they can. I have a feeling they go offensive tackle, but it wouldn't shock me. It's interesting. So I think. A lot of people remember the rule connection and the temple connection, sure. right? And think either the Panthers or they love the hometown situation with Pittsburgh, the hometown kid, like you're mentioning. And obviously, like, I don't know if uh, there'd be a quarterback battle, I suppose, um, with Trubisky in Pittsburgh now. But off of, like, completely away from those two options is New Orleans, which makes a lot of sense, especially for, like, a grittier type of player. It, it, It just seems to fit nicely with what a rebuild might look like. You know, we need you to kind of like bootstrap this whole team up. We're starting sure. over. That that all makes sense on brand too. All right, let's let's switch gears. You threw me on the comp, but that's your job. That. It's why you're so, <laughs> no, it's good. It's what you're, it's, it's like got my mind working about different options. Because the, the crazy thing about this draft thing is, you know, it's like one domino falls and Absolutely. all of the work that we've done and all of a sudden you're moving in another direction. You've got to change all of your... All of the other like pegs that fall, you know, it's like a Price is Right game. That That's one right. Price is Right game where you drop a ping pong. The plink. Anyway. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. 
Plinko. Plinko. There you go. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's continue playing Plinko with quarterbacks <laughs> and Malik Willis, who is coming out of Liberty by way of Auburn, obviously. Six foot one, uh, 219 pounds. He's 22 years old. Interestingly, he uh, was the second highest graded draft eligible quarterback on 20 plus yard passes this past year per PFF. Just behind one of your favorites, by the way, Bailey Zappi. But we won't talk uh-huh. about him too much. <laughs> um, a really toolsy kid, right? Like, I think for fantasy, Malik Willis is going to be everybody's kryptonite because we love ceiling in fantasy. We love the what-its. We don't have tolerance or patience for floor. We want to imagine the rushing stats that this kid is going to put up. And, I mean, I'm going to get ahead of myself, like, there is a lot of Jalen Hurts in Willis's game. Right. I think he's basically like a bionic armed Jalen Hurts. And if you know what Jalen Hurts, despite what he did not do as a passer, did for points in fantasy, like Willis becomes absolute. I don't know. I don't. Maybe he's pyrite or maybe he's real gold. <laughs> One way or another, he's 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 got some value. I think you're right. I mean. For a kid to rush for 800, 900 yards each of the past two seasons, I have, what, 12 and 13 touchdowns. I forget the exact numbers, but you know, big rushing numbers. And in college football, they take the sack yardage off. And guess what? Malik Willis took a lot of sacks. So, you know, he can roll. I mean, this is a guy with with speed, but also power, too. I mean, he's built more like a, a power running back. I mean, he's, he's got like a like a Dalvin Cook build or whatever. So, you know, it, it's it's impressive. I wasn't sure. I kept watching the tape during the fall and thinking, is he going to be able to turn the corner? Is he going to be elusive enough? Or is he going to have some limitations as a runner? I feel less worried about that now. I think that his legs are going to be a huge part of his game. He can, he's got, you know, bendy ankles and great body control and things like that. And Oh, by the way, he's got a howitzer for an arm. As you mentioned, the deep passing is a big part of what they did. Some of it was schemed up, but then again, he was playing with a bad offensive line. Uh, His go-to receiver was a redshirt freshman. Uh, You know, I mean, there, there were some things that hurt him. There were also things that helped him, like the system of Hugh Freeze and whatnot. So you know, there's just a lot to process with Willis. But from a fantasy perspective, the moment he gets in the lineup, that could be as a you know a one or two package a game guy it's at first, a starter eventually, who knows? He's going to have fantasy relevancy right away. Is there any concern or doubt about his ability to mature since we're both saying that he's a bit of a, a project, right? He's yeah. kind of raw. Um, is there a lot of concern about the fact that he came from Liberty, right? This isn't an LSU product or a Clemson or an Alabama product and that the level of competition, it seems like we dismissed all of that when Zach Wilson came out, despite the fact that Brigham Young was like, not the same, right? People kind of said it, but like, oh, those off-platform throws. Are we, I'm not hearing the same, it, it feels like the discrepancy between those two conversations is vast when we're having the same talk about Willis. Yeah, it's fair to bring up because, I mean, obviously I would say BYU's schedule in 2020 was far weaker than what Liberty played this year. You know, at Syracuse, at Ole Miss, some other pretty competitive games there, you know, the bowl game and, and whatnot. He was the the MVP of that one. You know, it's I would say they played a tougher schedule. Now, did Willis always elevate his game on those big platforms? No, the, the Ole Miss tape was pretty ugly. He didn't get a lot of help, but, you know, he walked into some traps himself. Uh, Syracuse, wait, you know, just, you know, it was another 
his his timing and his sense to to when to get when to throw the ball, when to get rid of it, et cetera, has got to speed up. He was like Hertz in college, who had a great offensive lineman in front of him, holds on to the ball way too long. It's tough in that regard, but you know, some of that timing has got to speed up. So, but yeah, I would say that the questions in comparison to Zach Wilson are are are, are fair to raise and whether it's whether it's equitable or not, because you know, Wilson was throwing sidearm passes against Boise State in one of their worst defensive years in recent memory against Utah State. You know what I mean? It just wasn't the same level of competition that that the Jets faced this year, and it showed. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's interesting, so I wanted to ask your professional opinion on it. I also want to ask you not where you necessarily think he's going to go, right, but where you want him to go. Where do you think he could land that would best help his career and his maturation into the pros. Yeah, I would love to see him land in Pittsburgh. I don't know that it happens, and I don't know that the Steelers are wanting to do another, you know, Devin Bush type of trade where they move that high up to get somebody. Maybe they do, you know, and it's Kevin Colbert's final draft. You know, they could go uh, like the Ravens did with Ozzie Newsome, kind of the the legacy pick, if you will, with with uh, Lamar Jackson. It wouldn't shock me, but they got they've got some to room to move up. They probably have to feel comfortable. Uh, doing so ahead of uh, number six of Carolina. If he were to fall past that point, different discussion. So Pittsburgh still makes the most sense, though. As you pointed out, Trubisky, it's not like we're talking about, uh, you know, somebody who's irreplaceable as a starter. And, you know, rest in peace to Wayne Haskins. I hate to say it in these terms, but they're a quarterback short. And Mike Tomlin at the Senior Bowl, just being up front, I got to sit on the uh, the far side of the stands where or a lot of the coaches were. He was waiting to be the first guy to talk to Willis after that first practice, which Willis was very impressive down in Mobile. And, you know, it was like, all right, I'm going to talk to this guy and I'm going to be the first guy to grab him off the field. So they, the Steelers have done a lot of work on Ritter. They've done a lot of work on Willis. I think one of them ends up in Pittsburgh. Okay. Interesting. And not pick it. So, all right. Well, well, let's talk about Ritter because I think that he is one of the most intriguing risers at the position in this year's class. He had an exceptional combine. He's so easy to root for. Comes from, you know, not the most privileged background, I guess you could say, from Louisville. Uh, Originally received just a few offers in college. Chose Cincinnati over Eastern Kentucky. And then, oh, can you imagine also like what I'm about to say, we being like an 18 or 17-year-old kid and like you get the offer. It's finally happening. And then Tommy Tuberville resigns as the head coach and you're just praying that you can still have the scholarship that the like the new and Luke Fickle did like honor it but all of that sort of like happened so it feels like Ritter is this and you see I think you see it show up in his game like he just wants it so bad he like and, and that's part of like the good of him and part of the bad of him because he'll make these questionable decisions and that'll affect his accuracy but at the same time like He's kind of fearless. He's got this like rushing ability and he is determined when he is breaking tackles in the open field to keep going. Good arm strength too. So I feel like when I watch him, I'm always like rooting for him because (laughs) you can tell that he's had these obstacles and he is like, wearing the underdog moniker on his heart and yep. sleeve. Yep. He's, he's a young father. His mom was very young when she had him, and he's talked about his, his uh, commitment to them. Fun story, too. Uh, the first uh, assistant coach who recruited him at Cincinnati, Zach Taylor, who was, uh, right. who, who was an assistant there. Yeah, so it, he won't go to Cincinnati. We know that, but uh, to the Bengals, that is. But, yeah, I mean, I just – 
you think about where he was early in his career. You know, he and Luke Fickle, there were some rumors that maybe they weren't on the same page and, you know, talk of a transfer. He stuck it out. He stayed with Well, he him. wasn't his guy. Like, right. that's, you know, he wasn't Fickle's guy. Like, he was like, all right, I guess we'll, like, he was Tuberville's guy. So, yep. like, you got to imagine all of that at 17 coming into a situation where you know you're not the pick. Yep. And they, they both made it work, and you know, and I think... You know, 2019, I wouldn't have said he was an NFL prospect watching him, you know, miss fire high, low and left and right and everything. But he really worked on that accuracy. And I think it starts with his fundamentals. Like he, the, the word that popped into my head, that one word for him, he's really solid. And yeah, there's some misthrows that you mentioned, right? And his accuracy isn't pristine. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better than it was. And I think that narrative has lingered on more than it probably should. That's a lot of 2020 tape talking and previous to that. This past year, I felt like, you know, even if his completion percentage wasn't as high, I, I saw a guy who was more in the zone than he was the year before, at least a little. And his, he got more out of his passes. He, you know, he they had a lot of design runs, but, you know, he scrambled more out of need than, uh, you know, fight or flight mode or anything like that. So, yeah, there's just been a lot of refinement to his game. You could make the argument, you know, and maybe it's between him and, and Pickett, but maybe the cleanest mechanics of anybody in this class. Uh-huh. I mean, really, and and you're right. He's 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 just sort of a quiet warrior out there, and I, I like the fact that he stuck it out. He stuck around for his senior season too, which was huge for his development. If he came out last year, I, I would have really worried about his career arc. Now I feel a lot better about his possibilities in the NFL. So then I have to ask: if we talked about Pickett being one of the most improved players, and you're talking about Ritter's excelled refinement, why is there a gap between the two? You know, is it just like Ritter just lacks the electricity that Pickett brings to the game um, because he's we both compared him, Ritter, to Marcus Mariota. There's just like a kind of a lower level of athleticism, even though they're both high end athletes. Yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, if you put Desmond Ritter at wide receiver, I think he could do a respectable job. I mean, he's that good an athlete, four, five, forty, you know, good jumping numbers and all that. You see it in his in his running style, what have you. I do think that NFL defensive backs are gonna have a little easier time. There were times on tape where I felt like he stared down his targets. And part of it was just being a well-programmed quarterback. I know where I'm going with the ball based on this look, based on this coverage, based on this down and distance. They're gonna play off coverage. I'm gonna hit the, you know, whatever. And and sometimes he gets a little too dialed in on that. And there were there were some almost interceptions on tape this year that I had to mark down. You know, his he never threw more than I think nine picks in a year. But you know, this past year there were some balls that that hung up there a little bit. As to why there's a, a, a big gap necessarily in terms of where they could be taken, one, I, I think that gap maybe end up being smaller than than come draft day. Okay. I don't know I a month ago, I would have said, yeah, pick it top 10 or 15, whatever, Ritter second round. Now I'm not so sure. I, I feel like yeah, there are- Yeah, let's get there. Come yeah. on, Eric. I, I don't know that there will be a, a cavernous uh, leap from one pick to the next. And, you know, I just think that it's um, it's a fair question to ask because he made incremental gains every year. It's not like Pickett, who was technically a one-year wonder in that regard. Well, and that's kind of what I'm- uh, That is the right. point. You've articulated it perfectly. Why I, I sort of this whole quarterback 
evaluation process. Like, I'm not saying that they're similar players, but if you want to see practice making improvement and you want to see progress and Ritter's done that, I don't see why the knee jerk is like, I'll pick it when, yeah, I mean, is it, we just remember the last thing we saw and he had one standout year and it just happened to be 2021. And so he's the guy like, yeah. I don't know. I'm not trying to knock. Pick no, it. it's it's a question to... of upside, I think. And and while I earlier just said that I don't think that Pickett will ever be a star, I think people feel like there's maybe a little bit better chance that he has a, a better career on the high end than than Ritter would. I think a lot of people around the league feel like Ritter is going to be a very solid quarterback in this league. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's just a perception of uh, he's maybe tapped out all his ability at this point. It, it's sure. it's a little he's speculation. A yeah, could be. Okay, well, that makes sense. If you think some another player has more space to grow and someone else is like at their best, then then that makes sense. I, I you know that's kind of like a when little. we talked about Drake London. Yeah, you know? like Drake right. London could maybe have a Mike Evans type career ahead of him because he's got space to grow and room to add muscle, and so that's right. That's being factored into his overall grade. Okay. Let's talk about our fourth major guy. We're going to touch on a couple other prospects, but Matt Corral out of Ole Miss, six foot two, 212 pounds. He's 23 years old. Uh, he'll be 24 in, you know, January. I love, by the way, seeing some of these guys born in the 90s still. It makes me feel not so old when I yeah. see all these guys born in the 2000. I'm like, I was not born in the 90s, but. I was like a grown ass woman in the 2000s, in the early aughts. Like, I graduated college in 99. So, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it makes me feel old. I get it. Like, born in the 90s, I can get with, but like, born in the 2000s, Lord. Anyway, um, Matt Carell was born in SoCal, where yep. I live, in 1999, uh, January 31st. In <laughs> fact, interesting. So, went to Oaks Christian. Got into a fight with Wayne Gretzky's son, which I think is one of my favorite fun facts, and then transferred to Long Beach Polytechnic. Yep. Eventually ended up, he flirted with USC and Florida for a minute, but he ended up committing to a Ole Miss. He was named the Rebel starter in 2019. Hadn't a year, but then when Lane Kiffin came to the Rebels in 2020, it was a match made in college football heaven, I, I have to say. I mean, that's like Corral just started to blow up. I, I have a feeling you're going to talk about his maturity and maybe how he's developed both, you know, on and off the field. Mm-hmm. I will say, even in 20 and 21, dude comes to the field looking like he's about to throw hands. Like, <laughs> I... I am like, and we know these all, all these players are like ultra competitive, right? We hear that all the time. They're bred for it. Right. But like, I cannot, I imagine that Matt Carell looks exactly the same if he's like drinking on Broadway in Nashville (laughs) as he does under center. Yeah. Yeah. He certainly has that, that, that personality in his play style that, that really shows out. And, and you're right. I mean, when he was in high school, the, not just the incident there, but you know, they, there were other bouts. I mean, he talked about when, when I had a conversation with him, a real long one, in fact, and a real candid one where he said, I had some anger issues. You know, I didn't know where they came from. I could, he had a, you know, a stable situation at home. It wasn't like that. It was just, he had something brewing inside of him. And I think it does come out in his play and what he's learned he to do. It. Yeah. He's he's learned to harness it, right? And and it's like 
if I have this, I, I might as well bring it out when when the lights are on, right? When the when the whistle blows. So sure. and not do it as much uh, off the field. I mean, he talked about being depressed and not knowing why and, and trying to attack his his mental health and everything. And so, you know, he's been real upfront with teams on that. And there may be some who are, are you know skittish about that or wondering where he is and everything. But I think most feel pretty good about that part of his aspect. And yeah, he's able to, I mean. You know, he and, and Lane are are a perfect match, right? They both got a little bit of a, a wild side, a dark side to them, you know. But, uh, you know, playmaking-wise, you know, it was a perfect setup. You go back and look at his 19 stats, Matt Corral stats, started like half the games, switched with John Reese Plumley, who ended up getting moved to receiver. Uh, it was more of an option QB. They would just sort of flip back and forth. Kiffin arrives, and, you know, it's just – it was, you know, Matt Luke, too, and was – you know, a good coach, but I think obviously this kid is really paired up with the right offensive coordinator who knew how to design the place, throwing the play sheet up halfway when the ball's not even close to the receiver because they know it's open. It works against and for him. And that was the word that I used to describe Matt, Matt Corral, which is structure. When he has a structured offense, he's been terrific. When we saw in 2020, when he tried to play a little more YOLO ball, Five yeah. picks, six picks, LSU, Arkansas. I mean, it was ugly at times. It was beautiful, and then it was terrible. I do wonder how he's going to play out of structure, and I do. I am concerned that if he goes to a team that has a maybe a looser locker room, or he gets embroiled in some sort of controversy, you know, maybe it's not the ideal situation for him. But if he's in a place where he's sort of protected, well insulated, he could thrive. I think that's all along the same point, right? Like that knowing to harness whatever it is inside of him is what keeps him producing positively on Mm -hmm. the field too, right? Like as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, I immediately thought about improvisational ability, right? And I think Malik Willis, who we talked about, probably like the one of the best impro QBs in this class, the yep. best impro QB, like just has, just makes these, his body makes choices before his head can overthink it. And maybe because Corral, as you've mentioned in your conversation, is more self-aware, has had time to reflect, maybe that big, beautiful brain of his like second guesses things. And so um, he has trouble just like, instinctively reacting because in the past when he's done that, it's not turned out well. Yeah. I think there is sort of a fear factor and, and that's, and that's good coaching too, right. In the sense that I, you know, like we, we can't play that fast and loose. We can't win games when you're throwing five picks. And, and so, you know, here's how to ha- have the best of both worlds. I'll, I'll be aggressive in my play calling. You just make sure you're making your reads properly. And if number one, isn't there, don't go for it. You go to two, then you go to three. And so, I think just building some confidence, number one, but also building a, a good uh, structure for him in terms of progressions and play calling and all that. And him, you know, Lane reminding Corral that he doesn't have to be the hero every week because they have, you know, other playmakers and a good run game too. Since you talked to him, I'm curious about this. Did When you had your conversation, did you talk to him about the Sugar Bowl? And- yeah, maybe how he dealt with that. I mean, like to take the team all the way to the sugar bowl and then mm-hmm. be carted off the field in the first quarter, it looked a lot worse, right? It ended up being a high ankle sprain. It looked yep. a lot worse when it happened, how he was able to recover that. I think that that might be a point of resiliency that especially in these interviews with coaches might help him 
you, you know, study out a bit in, in his like draft stock. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, first of all, he gets kudos from NFL people for even playing in the game. Right. I mean, Kenny Pickett opted out of the bowl game, uh, other, sure. yep. other top quarterbacks or, or other top draft picks have done that in the past. It's not necessarily a negative, but you get some extra credit if you decide to go out there with your teammates. And, you know, when I asked him, I said, was there any regrets? I mean, this injury, like you said, could have been a lot worse. It was scary at the time. And he said, absolutely not. He said, I felt like as a quarterback, like you had to be out there. That was the deal, right? I mean, you know, I'm the one running the show here. They're they're counting on me. So I, I, you know, I appreciate that aspect. He's super competitive. So yeah, I mean, he said, you know, yeah, I was I was pretty down when when I had to come back on the field. He said, you know, I think it, what his words were is he, he went into the locker room, got checked out, came back on crutches. He said, it wasn't until I saw the looks of the teammates looking at him that he was like, oh, like that's when it sunk in. So, mm-hmm. you know, he he's an emotional kid, no doubt about it. And, you know, when he's on, he's on. And that had to be pretty deflating. And, you know, he hasn't really been able to do a whole lot since then or whatever too. I mean, obviously the injury is fine now, whatever, but, but still it's, it was, it was a big blow for him to, to finish out his college career that way. Eric, I gotta be honest. Like I am feeling, and maybe this isn't the most creative comp, but Baker Mayfield vibes like on field, off field, the whole thing. He's not as thick, right? I mean, but like, he was just getting down to the nitty gritty. Like he's not quite as big. He's maybe a little bit taller and, a little bit better of an athlete. I don't think his running, like, you know, one of the big things with Baker in college, you know, he could, he could run. I mean, that was a kind of a big deal. Like when he scrambled and picked up eight or nine yards, it was like, Oh, we got to cover that too. Well, that wasn't really an option. The NFL once in a while, he could, that got taken away from him. He really wasn't the pure pocket passer that everybody hoped. I think there's, there's definitely some overlap there, right? The, the fiery temperament, there's the, the play style. It's kind of similar. Baker played in one of the best, you know, play calling systems in the country as well at Oklahoma, elite talent all around him. So it's, it's not wild to suggest that. I mean, I, I absolutely can, can see that. I went a little deeper than that. Again, I, I, you probably, this is a refrain here that I've, that I've used many times, but I, you know, I sort of thought I'm like, you know, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Rich Gannon, just play style wise, right? Now, Rich Gannon was an MVP. I'm not saying I think, uh, you know, Corral's going to get to that level, but pretty nifty athlete, guy who could take off and, and and get some yards that way. He can roll out, expand plays. He's he's more of a caretaker, though. That's really where Gannon's career took off is when John Gruden was calling plays and he had, you know, Jerry Rice and Tim Brown. You put Corral in that situation, and it happened later in his career, too. And if you get Corral three, four years from now in that type of deal, maybe he struggled a little. But once he gets that same trust he did at Ole Miss, I think he could be a good football player. It just may take a little bit. Just for reference, Rich Gannon, by the way, started his uh, with his last team, the then Oakland Raiders, the same year, 1999, uh, <laughs> that, that, that this kid was born. Oh, that's my a deep, God. that is like a, that is a deep dive though. I, I mean, is there a, is there perhaps a, like a more modern comp for our, uh, <laughs> our, our listeners? Yeah. Any high school kids who want me to bring them out to uh, compare them to? No. <laughs> yeah. Baker makes some sense. Zach Wilson, certainly. I mean, body size wise. And, and, yeah. you know, I think with Wilson though, you felt like he, yeah, he made some mistakes as a creator, as an improviser. But he also had a lot of successes. Now, maybe those successes were having, you know, really talented receivers and things like that and a great offensive line and everything. So, but yeah, those are, those are the more, those are the modern day comps. Well, I think too, Zach Wilson has kind of that, like, uh, that, like, 
uber confident, bordering on arrogant play style. You know, like it, yeah. it's fine to be arrogant if you can pull it off, right? Yep. It's only a problem when you can't. That's so exactly they right. have that in common too. Um, we're because, and we're going to close it down with Carl. I just, I just think he's a, a fascinating study all around. Where, since we mentioned maybe needing a coach with structure, do you think he is best suited to land? And do you think you'll find that? Yeah, great question there. And 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 as you pointed out in, in a previous podcast, saying that Washington is an ideal spot for anybody is a death knell of sorts, right? You know, you, you've got to hold your breath and cross your fingers at the same time. But yeah, I, I do think Scott Turner's offense will have a, what, what Turner does really well is cater his system to the talent at hand. I think that's that's really what his best quality is as a play caller. That's what sort of made me think that. And of course, Wentz is on a short leash, I would imagine. And, you know, they don't really have anybody else in the pipeline other than Taylor Heineke. So, you know, if you're looking to build long term and you're not immediately trying to throw somebody in the lineup, well, he's a third string quarterback. That's not a bad thing. Learn how to be a pro. Learn what it's like to be away from home and all that stuff and and slowly gain over a year or two. I know we're not in a league where quarterbacks develop at that rate anymore, but I suspect that 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 he has a chance in the right situation, and maybe that is Washington, especially if they keep adding it uh, at receiver. Yeah, and Rivera is one of those coaches that players love to play for. You know, Absolutely. he likes culture. He threw out the foosball tables when he turned when he <laughs> took over the job in Washington. So I do think that he's got a firm but guiding hand. Yes. That could be beneficial to Corral's overall development. Okay. All right. We have two more prospects. Well, two more quarterbacks and then one surprise pet player that Eric is going to go off about because it's one of his favorite. <laughs> um, we had Matt Harmon had Matt Waldman on the podcast a little while ago. And Matt Waldman, who is one of the best talent evaluators in the fantasy and dynasty sphere said that he really loves Skylar Thompson out of Kansas state, 6'2", 217. He'll be 25 in June, but who's counting? (laughs) Um, Eric, I want your take on Waldman's pick. Yeah. It's an interesting choice because of the age. Obviously there'll be some teams that, that look at him and say, too old, you know, like, like, what does Yoda say? Too old to begin the training or whatever he says, you know. Oh well, if you throw out Luke Skywalker, <laughs> I think you made a mistake. Now, Skylar Thompson isn't quite that level of, of uh, guru, Jedi, whatever you want to call him. But, you know, there was some intriguing stuff in his play. I mean, first of all, what you notice is that he's a dual threat guy. He can run the football effectively, design runs, scrambling, what have you. Pretty low interception totals, you know, took care of the football, not explosive numbers as a passer. And his accuracy up until this past year was very scattershot, right? Um, so there's some there's some some pitfalls with this play, but I saw a different player. I mean, I felt, you know, even though he, you know, missed, I don't know, a quarter of the season or whatever with an injury. Uh, I thought he played really composed in a lot of situations. He outplayed uh, you know, Carson Strong in the in the game against Nevada. You know, he's got some limitations size-wise, like, you know, a little under 6'2", thin build, small hands. we got to mention that. If you mention it with Pickett, you got to mention it with uh, Skylar Thompson. But a uh, real competitive guy who's, you know, played 40-plus games in, in college football and I think is a, is, a, is a decent developmental guy except for the age. 
And yeah, he was, he, he surprised me when I watched him. I mean, obviously mature because of the, the amount of time he's been in college, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's a neat nifty little quarterback. He'll, he'll be the guy who leads preseason and passing yards or something like that. And oh. you say, yeah, oh, who is this guy? So, you know, I couldn't help, but notice as you were describing Thompson's playing style that he sounded a lot like a player we just discussed. <laughs> yeah. So who who are you comping him to? Yeah, I, I kind of gave him the 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 dime store Kenny Pickett label. I mean, I, I <laughs> you know, a little bit older, small hands, right? A lot of the same qualities, probably a better runner, to be honest, uh, and just not as accurate, but same kind of play style a little bit. And, and you know, you're not going to design run Kenny Pickett 10 times a game or eight times a game like Thompson sometimes did. But yeah, there's a little bit of that in his game. I more wanted to have fun with the nickname. But yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of what he is. <laughs> well, OK, so that was your take on Waldman's pick. Now, I have to ask you because it is not often that I get to hype up my alma mater. I know. In the NFL. right? And, like yeah. I went to Brown. There's not a lot of Brown alum that show up as a potential draftee. Right. Like not, not even sixth round, yep. guys. But EJ Perry is a quarterback who cleaned up at the combine because he also picked up the trash after everyone left. Like That's a nice right. boy. He did, yes. He picked up all the trash, so he cleaned up in a couple of ways. But I want to know, 6'2", 211 pounds, from Andover, went to Boston College for a minute before he transferred to Providence, Rhode Island, and played for the Brown Bears. Um, how, how could just can you give me a little hope, please? Yes. Well, hey, Andover, Mass, my hometown. Gotta gotta give them a little bit of uh, right. go Warriors. That's right. Yeah. So played for his dad in high school. Played for his uncle in college. Played on the basketball team briefly too at Brown. I mean, he's an athlete. You know, we were kind of talking about with Kenny Pickett, like he should be good at every sport. I'm guessing EJ Perry's the same way. Athletic family. You know, just a real competitive kid as well. You have to be at Brown. I don't mean that as a negative. They're, they, I think they were, what was their record? Four and 16 with him as a starter or something like that. So you may be asking like, okay, well, what does this kid do? Well, he's got a pretty darn good arm. Probably the best arm in the Ivy League and, and one of the better, uh, you know, sub uh, division one uh, arm talent, I would say. He's a good runner. You could, uh, another, some teams have looked at moving him to wide receiver if quarterback doesn't work out. I mean, you know, he was running in the four sixes and had good, you know, vertical jump numbers and things like that. So uh, another kid who's a little bit older, coming up on 24 years old, but he kept his teams in games, right? I mean, at halftime of every Brown game, they were in the game because of EJ Perry. He just let me tell you, that is not normal. Right. As someone who attended that university for yes. four years, most halftimes did not feel you did not have hope at halftime. You were just drunk and went home. Or the halftime. library. Right. Exactly. You guys were Shut all smarties. Come on. Yeah, come on. I got to get there. <laughs> I've been to a Brown game. I went to a Brown Cornell game a zillion years ago. It was, it was fun. But yeah. Oh, God. Cornell is even I mean, at least the Harvard Brown games had a little bit of competitiveness. <laughs> yeah. Different story. But I mean. Yeah, EJ was obviously the big man on campus. He's a real humble kid. He went to the East-West Shrine game and was the MVP there. So this talk about him getting drafted is not just a cute story. He's going to get drafted, I believe. So fifth, sixth, seventh round, somewhere in that range, he's, he's an interesting guy. Well, Eric, that's all very nice. But I'm looking at our outline, and you have him comp to Bruce Gradowski. So <laughs> you can f*** right off. <laughs> 
Hey, you know, I was trying to think of like the gritty backup who always finds himself in like a, you know, thrust into a starting role because of injury or, you know, the, the guy you keep around because he's smart. I mean, that's really what Bruce Gronkowski was. And I think he's in coaching now, too. So, I mean, your comp is sort of the same vein, it's academic just a school. smart guy comp. Okay. Let's be honest. <laughs> like, I comped him to Trevor Simeon because of his size and because Northwestern's a good school. I mean, there it is. And. Trevor Simeon's a weird guy, too. Like, I mean, E.J. Perry's not without his flaws. Don't get me wrong. I love the kid, but, you know, he makes some boneheaded throws. So does Trevor Simeon. So they got more in common than we realize. We do not have to make this E.J. Perry tonight by any means. Our, our poor producer, John, is probably like, guys, no, but can we please move on? This is the most irrelevant. But we're just having fun, John. I'm exactly. sorry. Exactly. Enjoying this this time together that we don't <laughs> normally get to have. That's right. And because you indulged me, even though I told you to F off, because <laughs> you indulged me with some EJ Perry talk, I am now going to allow you to stump for one of your favorite offensive pet players, tight end Jelani Woods out of Virginia. Six, seven. Of course he's six, seven. Yeah. He's a tight end. 252 Huge. pounds. My God, 23 years old. Tell us, other than just, I mean, I know I can tell why you like him already. Why else you like this kid? Yeah, high school quarterback who, you know, went to Oklahoma yeah. State right before the bowl game is his redshirt year. They said, you want to try tight end? You're kind of a big dude, right? <laughs> like, like <laughs> you may not play here, right? We have a starter in, in place and everything. And he said, okay, I'll try it. So he went there, really took to the job, was kind of a blue-collar blocker for three years. I mean, they... They ran 11 or 12 personnel, excuse me, and, and ran the football. I mean, that's really what they did. And he'd catch the occasional touchdown and near the goal line and everything. But he wanted more. So he transfers to Virginia a little bit more. You know, Bronco runs a little bit different system there. They throw the ball to up the seam to tight ends. And boy, did he take off this year. I think he only had maybe 40-something catches, but averaged 15 yards a catch, had eight touchdowns, you know, showed, I thought, Good hands. I mean, yeah, some drops here and there, but I mean, for a guy who's never thrown the ball and was a quarterback five years ago, looked pretty darn natural. Then he goes to the combine, he blows the roof off the place. Four six forty, great jumping drills, three cone drill at under seven seconds. At what did you say he was? Two hundred fifty eight pounds or whatever. I mean, two fifty two. Two fifty two. There you go. I mean, so he can block in line. We know that as a run blocker. Pass blocking, yeah, we don't really know. Um, he can threaten the seam. You know, he's a phenomenal athlete. What's not to love? He's a little older, but he's a one-year wonder. But boy, I'm I, I'm just fascinated. I think he's got a little Mercedes Lewis in him. He's got a little Ooh. Logan Thomas, if you want to go for the QB tight end transformation there. They're both similar athletes size-wise. I, look, I don't know if he's a star right away, but he's going to do something in this league, and I think he'll 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 surprise people. Well, in fantasy, we get sucked into measurables, particularly at the tight end position, right? Because they happen to always be like the best offensive athletes given their size. So the adjustment percentiles, yep. the spark scores are through the roof. And Jelani Woods, 93rd percentile That's spark, 126. So everything you're saying lines up. I, You guys, listeners, this is a gift. We all know the trope, right? The tight ends, their first year don't. Right. ROI on fantasy value, but this is maybe a kid to pin if he lands in a good spot or he matriculates his way up the roster, could have some juice. So thank you, Eric, for that, for that like deep sleeper nug. Absolutely. Love those deep sleeper nugs. 
All right. While we're at it, give us your top five overall prospects, any and all top five on your big board. Yeah. And sadly, this only has very, very, very limited uh, fantasy appeal, but we'll roll through them pretty quick. Aiden What's up, H- IDP fans? Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. You got to think about that, too. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson may not be a great IDP player right away. I don't know that he's going to be the 14 sack guy he was at Michigan, but all around very few weaknesses in his game. He's my number one. A uh, couple offensive linemen in my top five, Ika Mekwanu at two, Evan Neal at five. I think both are going to start and and be whatever teams they join, I think are going to be plus run blockers right away. So again, there is some fantasy relevance if you think about it. Kyle Hamilton, I'm not worried about the, the slow 40-yard dash. I watched him play. He has play speed. That's not all I care about. So he's my number three overall guy. And then I got to go with some sauce in my top five. Mm. I, you know, it's funny because some teams will say that's a zone corner. He's not worth taking in the top 10. I get that. But when you go three years and you have nine interceptions and you don't allow a single touchdown pass, even with the reputation he gained, I, I think that's pretty darn impressive. He, I think he gave up, if I want to say, in 14 games, 17 catches for like 113 yards. Everything was in front of him. He tackled him. He's, he's a ball hawk. He's got length. He's got a lot to, to be excited about. Well, we all have a lot to be excited about because the NFL draft is one week from today. Crazy. So, Eric, we're out. This is it. This is it for you. Like, my friend, get your Red Bull. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get your Red Bull. Get your, like, Snickers bars. Get everything ready to fuel you to the finish line. The light is at the end of the tunnel for you. Where can our listeners check out all of your work? Because I imagine if we're thinking about the way the NFL offseason has looked there's going to be a couple of bombs dropped between now and draft night at least you know thursday yeah so um you'll be reacting to all of it where where can we find all of your information yep i'll be doing pick by pick analysis on draft night through round three so thursday night round one two and three on friday and then i'll be doing my draft grades i'll be working on it while the draft is happening on saturday i think we publish them on sunday don't quote me on that but they'll be coming out uh, shortly after the completion of the draft. And folks, go please check out the All Juice team. We just dropped it in honor of Therese Paler, our late colleague. We miss him dearly. It's a heavy burden, you know, and it, it was a it was a chore picking the team. I'm trying to put myself in Therese's brain and looking through his old teams and looking through my notes and everything. But uh, I, I took some pride in doing it. Charles Robinson was a big help. The whole editorial team, the art team, everybody put a lot into it. That dropped this week. So, yeah, please check that out. And it goes to a great cause, too, as well. If you buy a hoodie or a T-shirt from Breaking Tees and honors uh, Therese's alma mater at Howard University. And sorry, I didn't mean to just throw that at you, but I want to make sure that that uh, gets as much airtime as possible. Yes. No, we definitely help keep Therese's legacy alive. And Eric, I saw you tweeting with Ebony and being quite transparent about how you were really efforting to make this as authentic and and a real tribute to Therese while also doing the content justice for our our readers and our listeners. And I had fun with it, too, because if you knew Therese or if you heard him on the podcast (laughs) or whatever... He had the best laugh in the world. He had an incredible personality. He lo- loved football. He didn't take it so seriously. He just lived and breathed it, right? And so yeah. I tried to have some fun, tried to have some good memories uh, that, that I recall from him and work a little of his personality in while also describing the players. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for that. And thank you for joining me for these three weeks as we broke down running backs, wide receivers, quarterbacks, and one tight end. <laughs> 
it was my pleasure. And uh, I'm looking forward to next year already. I got names for you. I'm going to DM you as soon as we get off. Girl, I need a vacation. All right. You can follow me on Twitter. You do too, by the way, at Liz Loza underscore FF. Follow this man, Eric, but give him a minute to breathe at Eric underscore Ed Holm. And while you're at it, make sure you're following the mothership at Yahoo Fantasy. Matt Harmon and Frank Schwab will be back on Tuesday with a look at some of the prop bets available for the NFL draft. Until then, we're out. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.